0: Well, good morning, church. Glad to be with you this morning. I hope you're having a great day so far. We are wrapping up a series this week called How to Be Sad. Uh, And uh, so if you're having a great day, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm here to spoil it. Uh, No, I hope not. I hope that we can learn a lot from some of the books that we've been studying. We've been looking the past couple weeks at some of the books of the Old Testament uh, that have a lot to say to us when life does not seem to be going the way we want it to go. And uh, so today we're going to finish up that that series and we're going to talk about the book of Lamentations. Uh, So far we've talked about books, uh, uh, the books of Ecclesiastes, uh, the book of Job, uh, and we've talked about some of the Psalms that we find uh, in the book of Psalms. And uh, today we are finishing up with the book of Lamentations, and as I was thinking about this, I thought, I wonder how many people have heard uh, a sermon or have spent a Bible class studying the book of Lamentations. So if you can remember… Uh, a time in your life at any point where somebody preached a sermon on the book of Lamentations, or if you were in a Bible class that covered the book of Lamentations, would you please raise your hand? Okay, more than I thought. Uh, Okay, so if you raise your hand, I'd like to go ahead and invite you up to the stage. You're going to help me preach today. Uh, No? Okay, maybe not. Uh, But we are going to talk about the book of Lamentations, and I'm excited uh, to see what this book has to say because uh, it's a book that we don't talk about a lot. It's a book that we often will skip over. It's a short little book, in fact. It's only five chapters long, and each chapter is its own little story, its own little uh, uh, lament about why the people of God are crying out and asking God to show up. But before we really dive into the book of Lamentations, I was reminded of a story this week when I read through the book of Lamentations, and I wanted to share that story with you. This is a true story, uh, and I know when preachers say uh, that something is a true story, there's reason to doubt. So to help me this morning, I even have props to illustrate uh, how true this story is. Uh, perhaps some of you will remember this particular story. Uh, it's, a, it's a beloved story, a story that has been told uh, countless times. And the person in the story that I want to focus on today is not the main character of the story, but it is a crucial character to this story. In fact, if you don't have this character in the story, uh, it is my assumption that the story will, in fact, fall apart. So I want to introduce you to one of our characters in this particular story today. Uh, You might recognize him, if I'm able to even get him in front of you. This is our character for today. I had a great plan for a, a big reveal And it's not quite working out, but this is our character for today. You might recognize him or someone like him. Uh, This is a donkey, and uh, I would like to introduce you to Eeyore. Uh, Perhaps you can remember the story, the true story of Eeyore. Uh, And Eeyore is a character uh, in the story Winnie the Pooh. And Winnie the Pooh is a classic story, uh, and it contains a lot of truth in it. Now, Eeyore's story is a sad one. Uh, Eeyore has a way of looking at the world, a way of looking at life, uh, that doesn't have a lot of bright spots in it. Uh, Eeyore is constantly thinking about what is going to go wrong next. And in fact, if something goes right for Eeyore, uh, he simply begins to think something is about to happen bad. Uh, Eeyore uh, lives in a fantastic world, a fantastic world, where he uh, has built a home for himself out of sticks. Uh, And so he sits underneath these sticks in his home, and uh, whenever it rains, uh, the house falls apart. And he gets drenched in water. Uh, and Eeyore simply takes this as a normal part of life. Uh, this is not out of the, u- out of the usual. Uh, at one point in the story, Eeyore loses his tail. Uh, his tail falls off which most animals would find this to be tragic, uh, but Eeyore finds it as simply just another day in his life. Uh, Over and over again, we encounter different points in the story where Eeyore replaces his tail with some kind of object, Uh, and usually it's something that is pinned to a nail uh, that that is put into him uh, in his backside, which does not sound very comfortable to me. Uh, A couple more facts about Eeyore. Uh, Eeyore has a couple of friends, Winnie the Pooh, of course, who the story uh, is told about, and uh, Winnie the Pooh and and Piglet, uh, Winnie's sidekick, and uh, they are supposed to be some of Eeyore's greatest friends, but they forget about Eeyore's birthday. Of course, Eeyore is not surprised by this. This is just a normal day for him. But as a response to forgetting his birthday, they get him an empty jar and a popped balloon that can't even be inflated anymore. Not exactly the greatest friends, you might say. Not exactly the kind of friends that you would think uh, you would want to have. Well, Eeyore's story uh, is illustrative for us today. And in fact, I was reminded of it because Eeyore sounds a lot like the people of Israel in the book of Lamentations. Uh, The people in the book of Lamentations, the people of God, the people of Israel, uh, they have every reason to suspect that what is going to happen next is going to be bad. They have every reason to doubt that God is going to show up. And in fact, in the short little five chapters that the book of Lamentations contains, we see over and over and over again the people crying out to God, please, God, show up, help us, save us, redeem us. And today I'd like for us to to read a couple of the the verses that they write to find out just what is going on in the people of God's mind at this point in their history. So if you've got a Bible, feel free to turn over to Lamentations chapter 5, chapter 5, Uh, It might be a a difficult book for you to find, so uh, a a few ways to help you out. Uh, It comes right in between two very large prophetic books in the Old Testament. Uh, So the book of Jeremiah is right before the book of Lamentations, and the book of Ezekiel is right after, and those are both quite large books. If you begin flipping through and find Jeremiah or Lamentations, find the middle, and you'll uh, find—or Jeremiah or Ezekiel, you'll find Lamentations found right there in the middle. But before we get there, uh, Ron mentioned, and I want to emphasize— that this is a point in Israel's history when they are totally devastated as a people. Uh, They have been carried off into exile at this point in their history. The temple, uh, the place where they believe that God dwells and resides, where they meet God, has been destroyed. And this is a big deal because uh, this means to them that they can no longer encounter God. They can no longer meet God the way they thought that they could. They can no longer rely on God because now God has to go elsewhere. God's home has been destroyed, and he no longer is in their, their midst. And so in Lamentations chapter 5, at the end of this book, the people are crying out to God, and they are devastated. They have no hope. And this is what they say in Lamentations chapter 5, verse uh, 13. It says, young men have carried grinding stones. Boys have stumbled under loads of wood. The elders have left the city gate. Young people, stop their music. Joy has left our heart. Our dancing has changed into lamentation. The crown has fallen off of the head. We are doomed because we have sinned. So, at the end of this book, at the end of these short little five chapters, the people are crying out and they want God to show up. But they know that they are the cause of why God is no longer amongst them, why God is no longer in their midst. Uh, the, The crown has fallen off of their head, as if to say that they are no longer royal, they are no longer chosen, they are no longer blessed. And they believe that God has disappeared from their midst. Uh, It says that the elders have left the city gate, as if to say that they've abandoned their post. They're no longer present doing the things that God has called them to do. The young people, their joy has turned into mourning. No longer are they dancing in the streets. No longer are they enjoying life. But instead, they're a bit like our friend Eeyore here, simply expecting the next bad thing to come along and waiting For that moment. Well, as Ron mentioned, the book ends without much hope. I'd like to read for you the final two verses, just a few verses after the ones that we've read. Uh, it, It ends with the people calling out again to God, and yet they're not certain that God is even listening. In verse 21, it says, return us, Lord, to yourself. Please let us return. Give us new days like those of so long ago, unless you have completely rejected us or you've become too angry with us. The people of God don't seem to have a lot of hope at the end of this book. They don't seem to have much reason to to trust that God is going to show up when everything in their world has been destroyed. This is not exactly the ending to the book that we want, is it? We want a better ending. We want a happier ending. We want God to show up and say, yes, even though you have suffered, I'm present, I'm with you. But this book ends with them asking, begging God to show up and saying, but we know you probably won't. And to make matters worse for them, they know that it's because of their actions. It's because of who they are and what they've done. They know that they have sinned and abandoned God. And because of that, they believe God is no longer present with them. Recently, I've been thinking a lot about a small town, a small town called Barrow, and it's found in the state of Alaska. Has anyone ever heard of the city Barrow, Alaska? A few people. Has anyone been there? No, I've never been there either. I've been thinking a lot about this town, though, especially in connection with this passage, because the people in Barrow, Alaska, I think, understand this story probably better than we do. Now, I don't know a lot about Barrow, Alaska. In fact, I'm going to share with you this morning everything that I do know, but I think that once I share it with you, you'll begin to understand why these people understand what's going on in Lamentations. The city of Barrow, Alaska is the northernmost city in the United States. It's found, as you can see, on the very tip of the top of the state of Alaska for 80 days in the year. In fact, it's, it's so far north that for 80 days in the year, they have constant Sunlight. The sun never sets for 80 days. Uh, There's never night. And yet, even though the sun never sets, for more than 50% of the days that they have in their year, it's overcast. They can't see the sun because of the clouds. Not only do they have 80 days of sunlight throughout the year, but they also have 65 days of total darkness where the sun never rises. And during those 65 days, you might suspect that the morale of this city gets quite low. You'd be correct. During these 65 days of darkness, it gets so cold that people can barely venture outside of their own homes for very long because of how cold it is and the danger to them. Uh, on average, the city of Barrow, Alaska, has about 180 days in their year where the temperatures do not rise above zero degrees Fahrenheit. Not freezing, which is 32, they have 180 days where it doesn't rise above zero degrees. They do have 120 days where it does rise above freezing, which is 32 degrees. Uh, And during those 120 days of the year, it doesn't usually get much higher than 45 degrees Fahrenheit. The city of Barrow, Alaska, has never recorded a temperature higher than 79 degrees Fahrenheit. They don't even know what the 8 is for on the thermometer, unless it is literally eight degrees. I've told you all that I know about the city of Barrow, Alaska. I told you it wasn't much, but I think that the people who live there probably understand the story of the people of God quite a bit. In fact, I ran across a quote of someone who lives in northern Alaska, not in the city of Barrow, but they do say this about living there. They say when the sun, when they're anticipating the sun returning and the rise of the sun after 65 days of darkness, he says, the problem becomes re-entry. During those 65 days of darkness, you don't have enough energy to make a plan before the sun rises again. It's too much trouble. Once the light starts coming back, there's more energy. But reasoning is still off. I think this helps capture a little bit of the, of the mentality that these people in North Alaska understand, and probably the people of Israel as well. Because at the end of the book of Lamentations, the people are calling out to God and asking God to show up and to be there. They're anticipating the return of the light. And yet the story ends, and it's still dark. In fact, we are blessed because we have, many of us have read to the end of the story, and we know what's going to come in the future of God's people. But for them, it's four to 500 years of absence from God. they're wondering, when will God return to our midst? When will we see the light finally dawn again? And just like the people of Barrow, Alaska, I wonder if the people of God have a problem with re-entering into the story of who God has created them to be, because for so long their identity has been found in who they believe God has called them to be, and yet they have this devastating event right in the middle of their history that tells them differently that their experience does not match up with their expectation, that what they want from life doesn't seem to be happening around them. And they question, where is God? Where is the light? Now, of course, uh, from our perspective today, in 2019, we have the benefit of knowing that the light is going to come again, that God is going to show up and be with his people We can look back and we can see throughout the course of history that there is a light that comes. And of course, I hope that's the reason that you are here today, is because the light has entered the world in Jesus. And yet, as I think about the story of the people of God, and as I think about the light entering the world, I'm also reminded of when Jesus informs us and tells us that even though, yes, the light has entered the world, that we also Are called to be the light today. Jesus describes us as the light of Top A Hill, giving light to the whole city. He describes us as the lamp in the house that is set upon the lampstand so that the whole house can see. And I wonder if the people of God ever understood this in the book of Lamentations, if they ever even thought that God might have been asking them to participate in being the light. Yes, the temple has been destroyed, they've been carried into exile. And yet, isn't God still present in their midst? Don't we have story after story of Psalms, Job, Ecclesiastes, of people who have gone through dark days and yet who still have called out and relied upon God, saying we will still trust in God, even though our circumstances don't match up with what we expected from our lives. God has entered the world in Christ And Christ reminds us of what the people of God should have known all along, that we have been called to be the light in the world, to reflect the light that God has brought into the world in Jesus. And so as we conclude this series and as we ask the question, then how is it that we are to be sad? What are we supposed to do in light of this knowledge even though we know that the people in Israel who, who helped to write the book of Lamentations, who sang these lament songs, didn't understand and couldn't see the light reentering the world, we know the end of the story. So how is it that we're to be sad, church? Well, we're to be sad, of course, giving space for life's difficulties, not ignoring them, not pretending like they don't exist. How could we ever do that? These things carry such immense weight in our lives. They, they carry such tremendous impact. They mean so much to us. And even in the moments when we wish that they would be different, in the moments when we wish they would change, there's an opportunity in front of us, church, to reflect the light into the darkness. The people of Barrow, Alaska, experience more darkness than they probably would like, more darkness than probably most of us would ever want in our lives. And yet, every year, as they prepare to re enter the light, They know that there is going to be difficult days still ahead, even if the sun rises. It doesn't mean that their problems are at an end. And yet they hope to prepare. They hope to be ready for the day when the sun will rise again, even knowing that it's simply going to be another year before it sets again. Church, we have been called to participate in the light of Christ. We've been called that even in the dark days and even in the moments when things are difficult in our lives, even in the times when we are feeling immense sadness, that we can still reflect the light of Christ. And so today, my encouragement to you is in those moments, the moments when we are sad, when we encounter grief, when there's some kind of anxiety pressing upon us, when it doesn't look like the sun is going to rise again, my encouragement is to focus on the light of Christ and to find a way to reflect it in your own life and the lives of the people around you. Christ has given us a tremendous calling to share the light into the darkness, and we can do that even in the dark days. Here in just a moment, we're going to continue our worship and and sing a few songs. And as we do, our elders are going to gather around the room. And if you're experiencing a time in your life of of darkness, uh, of difficulty, of pain, I encourage you to come and pray with these men and women. They would love to spend some time encouraging you and praying for you. And today, if you would like to put on the light, to join in with the story of God's people who trust in Jesus, the light of the world, I invite you to come and spend some time visiting with me as we stand and worship together.